Welcome back to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. How are you, Lance? Couldn't be better. How are you today? I'm doing great. The uh, holiday season is upon us, Lance, and uh, it's almost break time. And but before you break, we got this uh, this really fascinating interview that covers a lot of ground. Yes, this is a gentleman who we met a couple of years ago through our friend Nancy Grace, who needs no introduction. This is her producer. His name is Alan Duke, and he is working on a project about Stan Lee, which started off in one uh, with One Direction, and he had to shift gears and sort of reproduce it. But I had no idea that this conversation was going to go where it went. I'm not saying that it's like bombshell after bombshell. It's just I had no idea what Alan Duke was capable of. Well, that's, that's what I mean when I say it covered a lot of ground. It, it uh, Really, it, we talk about Stan Lee, some elder abuse that is uh, sort of underreported, I think, uh, at least. At least in the celebrity circle, which least, is the opposite of what I would have thought. Yeah, at least that, you know, uh, in, in the sense that the public doesn't really hear about a lot of these things. Um, and then he also talks about some of the websites that he has. We talk a lot about fake news. I find that topic pretty interesting. Alan has a whole Twitter page and a bunch of sites, really, dedicated to fake news and uh, other kind of news. I think it's funny when we first saw Alan Duke at CrimeCon with Nancy Grace after talking to him and not seeing his face. And then we saw him and we, we at that moment we thought to ourselves we need to talk to him because he doesn't look like how he sounds. And he he looks he he kind of looks like like a motorcycle guy I guess. <laughs> well, he's got a ponytail, but I and thought, he's got a goatee. But uh, but we had talked to him before, and he's got this great voice, great like uh, radio, like classic radio voice. And uh, if you've listened to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, her podcast, you will know Alan Duke because he is on nearly every episode. Uh, she refers to him as the Duke, and they have a really fun dynamic. She kind of. Uh, Gives him some shit. It's great. I think they both instigate each other and challenge each other. I think that's right. So check it out. And uh, before we go, check out our Patreon page. We're doing some really interesting stuff over there. We're about to release our first variety half-hour show, which is uh, called Crawl Spaces True Crime Variety Half-Hour. Clunky enough to be weird and absurd. Clunky enough to be remembered. Hopefully. I mean, we're, we're definitely trying something new with this. Like we said in the last episode, we uh, we invited our buddies Tommy and Larry down to, to do a segment. And it's it's a video show. It's a video variety hour that involves some true crime, but it's um, comedic as well. The, the idea stemmed from us being here in the Crawl Space studio and the daily going-ons, and we would release like short two, three-minute video clips of us having a, a moment, whether it's about uh, a John Smith post or whether it's about, you know, taking a tour of the building. But we have a lot of these moments. And I think it was your idea to, to come up with something where we consolidated them all and put them together in a package, which essentially is a variety show. Yeah. So and, that's and what it is. It is. And now we, we can't really offer an audio thing through Patreon uh, because of our deal with Stitcher. So we are offering video, though. So you can check it out at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. It's only $5. And we're going to try to do one a month, probably be one every six weeks or so, once a month, something like that. And if you're still confused about what it is, just think... Two hosts introducing 
video clips and having segments that have a loose relationship to true crime, but mostly are about our existence here in our Crawl Space studio. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, so enjoy the conversation with Alan Duke. Subscribe to his podcast and his sites. Follow us on Twitter at CrawlspacePod, and we're on Facebook and Instagram at CrawlspacePodcast. And take care of your parents and grandparents. Welcome to Crawl Space. Alan Duke, how are you today, Alan? I'm doing great. Is it's it? just a beautiful day in L.A. The sidewalks are clean because the rain fell today and sort of washed them off for the first time in a while. And so everything's going to be green in a few days. Beautiful. Sounds wonderful. Thank you for uh, for taking some time out of your day, out of your busy day, your busy schedule, to chat with us about a few things one of the things we wanted to start with is your new podcast about Stan Lee. Can you uh, give us a, a, a little bit of a synopsis on that? Yes. There is the, uh, I guess, the high academic explanation or the lower Hollywood explanation. The higher a- academic explanation is this is a podcast about uh, public policy and elder abuse and the treatment of wealthy elderly celebrities uh, or the mistreatment of them. And why doesn't, why doesn't the system protect them? What is the failure there? And Stanley is one of the examples. There are other examples, you know, the Casey Kasem case, which is in the news lately. Uh, Mickey Rooney, another one. I was involved in covering all of those for CNN. I saw a pattern where the wealthy wealthier you are and the more famous you are, it seems you get the worst health care in some ways and the just just bad protection from the law because when they knock on your door up in Bel Air, Beverly Hills or wherever, the cops are less reluctant to really dig into it because it's, it can be a, a, a real problem for them. And that's part of what I'm addressing here. The lower Hollywood level is it's it's a damn Game of Thrones story. What goes on sometimes in these uh, Hollywood mansions where people who come in from across the (laughs) from another kingdom, if you will, seek to uh, storm the castle uh, when there is an elderly, wealthy celebrity who may not have that many really good friends who are not connected uh, by money, it makes them vulnerable. And as they get older, and Stan Lee got older, he was going to turn 96 this, this next month, it makes them vulnerable to the, the villains, if you will. And there aren't enough heroes. So that's what we're doing. We're looking at the villains and the heroes in Stan Lee's world. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Very ambitious uh, project. Yeah. I, wanna, I just want to get real quick back to the public policy. And you mentioned Casey Kasem yes. and Mickey Rooney. Can you just give us a little bit on, on those guys and what well, mistreatment they went through? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Casey Kasem, you've got his three older stepkid, uh, his three older children, and but he's been in a battle, or they've been in a fight for many years with his wife of about thirty years before he died. And since he's died, they're each blaming the other of killing him, literally using the M word, murder. And it's gotten, you know, when you've got a hundred million dollars to fight over, it can get it can get pretty nasty and, and bizarre. Casey Kasem was uh, diagnosed in 2007, 
seven years before he died with a Lewy body disease, which is a Parkinson-like disease. And so it was a slow, slow thing. He did his radio show uh, for a couple of years, then eventually in 2009 stopped it. But he was fading away. And the kids, the kids from the first marriage who were adults, were really having a difficult time communicating with him because of their um, their lack of uh, getting along with the stepmom. And uh, that, that created a lot of problems, and it was a wild uh, multi-state journey that he was taken on before his immediate, his death in June of 2014. Then after that, he was, you know, his corpse was taken to Montreal, Canada, put on ice there for a while, and then finally buried in Norway. He'd never been to Norway. He's not from Norway, but he's buried in Norway basically to keep the kids away from his corpse. I mean, that's kind of weird. Does that happen when you're not rich and famous? Yeah, that's insane. Nope. Because you'd, you'd think that someone who has been so successful in their industry, like Casey Kasem or Stan Lee, that they would have the people around them that would support them, and there would be something, and you're shaking your head already. They it doesn't just, happen that they way. They just don't. And like you have $100 million at stake, and that certainly brings out the worst in people. It, yeah, it really distorts the family dynamic, and it is a big problem around here. The, I, the, I just published my third podcast episode within hours after the first one. I got a call from somebody who I already knew, who's a, a name probably more famous than Stan Lee. This guy calls me personally. He's in his 80s. And he asked for my help because he heard the podcast. And he wants me to help him. I was aware of his problems and people around him. I'm not going to say his name, but he was actually he's actually more famous uh, and, and in some ways more accomplished than Stan Lee. And he's in his 80s. And he said, Alan, I, too, am a victim of elder abuse. Can you help me? So we'll see. Well, the, yeah, that's that's uh, very noble then to to take up that cause. It, it really seems like an underreported uh, kind of issue, huh? Well, no, when it when it gets reported, it's a big thing. I mean, the Casey Kasem story was a big deal. Mickey Rooney. Uh, gosh, when, when you push a hundred years old, uh, like Mickey was pushing, um, and you still have your health to a large degree and you still want to work yet, there may be people who are lurking around saying, I'm really ready to inherit something now. Right. Well, frankly, Mickey didn't have a whole lot left to inherit, but what he did have, he was Mickey Rooney and you, there was literally someone literally carting him around Beverly Hills and Hollywood in order to promote their own projects because they had Mickey Rooney with them. I'm not going to get into any names, but his situation, he, he, uh, court investigator found that he wasn't being properly fed. He wasn't getting his medications and nobody was really helping him with his professional career. And at, you know, 99, uh, you still want to, you still want to do your thing. If you're Mickey Rooney, a court, appointed a conservator, a lawyer who was neutral, that totally changed his last years and months. That is what made the difference. So in Mickey Rooney's case, there was publicity from Gary Baum at The Hollywood Reporter to the story that, and I did some stories, that raised attention to uh, Mickey Rooney's problem and his problems, and he got help. That's what I was hoping to do for Stan Lee. I started planning this thing six months ago, and it was originally called Saving Stan Lee, 
a time for heroes. And I had it all ready to launch on Thursday, the 15th, I guess. Well, on Monday, the 12th, Stan dies. So I had two or three days to change my podcast or just not do it. And so I changed the name from Saving Stan Lee to Stan Lee's World, his real life battle with heroes and villains. I had to change the website, the URL, uh, all the social media stuff, and had to re-edit the focus of the podcast. So that's what, that's what I was doing, but I still think it's important to do it. I can't save Stan, and it's too late for heroes. What was the focus of the podcast intended to be? I was trying to get him help. In 2017, in the spring of 2017, I went to the LAPD with some photos that you can see right now. If you go to my website, stanleysworld.com, click on my last blog entry, you're going to see some photos. And those photos were of my friend, Joan Lee, Stan's wife. She died of cancer in July of last year. But while she was still alive, I came upon these photos and I came, I got the names of three witnesses to the alleged violent incident that happened inside her home. And I could not unsee them. My co-host on my other podcast that I do, the radio show I get up every morning at four o'clock out here to do, uh, Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Yes. You guys, you guys <laughs> know Nancy. Yes. More, we'd love to talk and, more about that later. Yeah. All right. I, I got those, the, someone, one of the witnesses who took these photos at Joan Lee's request, sent them to me. And unlike people who work for a family and uh, could lose their jobs, I wasn't in that position. I was a friend of the families for a while. Um, but I went to the LAPD with them. I showed them to Nancy and Nancy said, Alan, I asked her advice. What do I do with them? She says, you got to immediately go to the LAPD. So I did. And I was expecting there would be an investigation. What I find out today, and I reconfirmed it. You're going to read about this in the Daily Mail article that's coming out right now because J.C. Lee actually says this. When the police knocked on the door, they only talked to the alleged victims of the domestic violence. They didn't talk to the witnesses. They didn't interview. I gave them phone numbers and names. None of the witnesses were were. Uh, interviewed by the LAPD detectives. Does that make any sense? If, 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 if you're being beaten up at home by your very close loved one, you get a knock on the door, it's the LAPD. Hey, um, has your very close relative been beating you? And of course you've got to put up with them. What are you going to say? Are you going to send them off to jail? Um, I think it would be nice if you did, but I think we all know that that's not what happens. So doesn't the LAPD know that? Have, have you ever heard of anything like that? No, not, not personally. Why didn't no. they talk to the victims? I was, to, I was told today that, well, they had three psychologists interview Joan and Stan Lee to make sure they were okay. Okay, then why didn't you have one detective talk to the names, to the people that I gave you their names and numbers? To this day, they still haven't been interviewed. And I have... Sorry. Can, is can it we Nancy? Pause Nancy? Just a second? <laughs> this is a Daily Mail reporter. Sure. Hold on. Oh, really? Yes. One of the things that happens is my phone constantly rings with people who were in Stanley's inner circle for years, uh, sharing information with me, stuff that they want me to know about for some reason. I don't know why, but 
Well, that's what happens. I got a lot of stuff. That's what happens when you start a podcast about a certain well, no, topic. It's, it's been going on for years. Yeah. I, well, how, how do you know Stan? How, how did you know him and his family? I was uh, covering Hollywood for CNN, and I got a um, a call from someone who was helping him with PR and really helping his daughter with PR, who uh, wanted. It was just before he was getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And this guy, uh, I knew him from another story covering Michael Jackson. And he said, hey, uh, Alan, uh, I'd like to bring Stan Lee down for you to interview him and you know, give you an interview about his Hollywood Walk of Fame. I said, great. He, he came down there and uh, I interviewed him. I interviewed him probably three or four times over two or three years. But anyway, that day I met him. Then he invited me to a hockey game that night. Uh, where he was ri- driving the Zamboni, and then uh, yeah, he was like he was like 89 then and driving the Zamboni down at the Staples Center, and then I was invited to a party the next night, and I later was introduced to his daughter, and we became friends, and I ended up hanging out a lot at Stanley's house and, and and with his family, especially his wife. She was delightful. He's just just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. I wouldn't say he was the nicest guy in the world. He was one of the most interesting guys in the world. Um, have you ever, you know who, uh, what's his name? Bruce Banner. You know who that is? Sure. Was he a nice guy? When he was Bruce Banner, he seemed like a nice guy. But not when he got angry. Yeah. Not when he went all Lou Ferrigno on you, right? Right. Uh, Stan, Stan could go Lou Ferrigno. Okay. Wow. And he would tell you that. And I've seen it. And you'll hear it on my podcast. Okay. Yeah. So you were hanging out in the Lee household. Was there any was there any time when you weren't looking around and saying, "Holy shit, I'm in Stan Lee's house hanging out with his family"? No, I really never thought it much that way. Really? Uh, no, not really. I it was uh, it was interesting. I it wasn't like I no I was I, I was never starstruck. Um, it was kind of my business not to be starstruck, really. But I, I wasn't starstruck. Um, like I say, I've known more famous, gotten close to famous people more famous than him. You're a lifelong newsman, it seems. You're, you're very, very natural. While, yeah, yeah. Uh, very uh, natural in this in this environment. Um, so you worked for CNN as well. Twenty five years. What did yeah. you do for them? What did I do? Uh, journalism uh, covered a lot of terrorism, politics, plane crashes, tornadoes. And did that for the first 20 years at CNN. You know, domestic terrorism was a big thing that I was involved in, in covering. McVeigh trial, I was there. And Eric Robert Rudolph, remember the Southeast Park bomber, Southeast bomber. In fact, I'm officially a victim of one of his bombs exploded near me and kind of took out some hearing. Uh, so I did a lot of that. And then in 2000, in late 2008, CNN uh was expanding a little bit in, a, in in their digital coverage. And I had been helping them experiment with that for a while. And they said, hey, Alan, you want to move to California? I said, sure. So I loaded up the truck and I moved to Hollywood, California and covered entertainment, ostensibly entertainment. Instead of a lot of red carpets, I was really more at the L.A. morgue or the courthouse with Lindsay Lohan or Chris Brown or Phil Spector or um, with lawyers and cops, that kind of thing at crime scenes. You know, when a celebrity dies, I try to be the first one there. I actually made it into the emergency room 
before they, I mean, when they were still trying to revive Michael Jackson. I, I wasn't actually in the room with him, but I made it in there before the security actually knew that that was going on. Wow. So, so, you know, try to, try to be in the middle of things. And, um, that's what I, I, that's what I've been doing. I've been out here since early 2009. Okay. And, and how did you get to know Nancy Grace and work on crime stories with Nancy Grace? Well, I was at CNN and Nancy was a, of course, hosted the show and headline news HLN. And I was, the reporter out here in Los Angeles covering a lot of the big stories that she was talking about, whether it was Lindsay Lohan or Chris Brown or Michael Jackson or a variety of, of stories. And so I was on her show regularly and we got to where we would argue a lot. And she liked that. If you don't argue <laughs> with Nancy Grace, you're kind of boring. To her. <laughs> and so when, when she left, I just left a year before she did, I actually took a job with another organization you might have heard of. Well, I'll just give you a hint. Guess what organization I became a national correspondent for. Hmm. Uh, my two bosses, my two bosses are now under the protection of immunity from Robert M M Mueller. WikiLeaks? No. <laughs> Breitbart? No. Breitbart? AMI. Ah, oh. okay. Mr. Pecker? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Really. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was. I worked for, uh, for a National Enquirer, Radar Online, and their publications as a National Enquirer, uh, as a national correspondent for six months, and then I fired them. Uh, I don't know how much I can say about it because of NDAs and that kind of thing, but let me just say, it was like getting a master's degree in in tabloid journalism. I learned uh, all the tricks, and the weaknesses and the strengths of what they do. And, um, all of this stuff that you're hearing about now. So I did that for six months. I went from CNN to that. Yeah. What do you mean all the tricks? Like how they get people to talk or how they get exclusive, how they get people to talk, how they get their material, how they get the stories. Is it ethical? How they verify the stories. Would, would you describe it as ethical? Well, it depends on what code of ethics you're going by. Okay. I mean, is it the code of ethics of journalists? Is it the code of ethics of nurse practitioners? I don't know. Uh, there are all kinds of codes of ethics, right? I would, uh, I would go with, I would go with the holder. I'd go with the I can tell you I don't know of anything illegal. Gotcha. What about the, the podcasting uh, code of ethics? Still, Let me tell you this. Let me written. put it this way. I did nothing that I'm ashamed of. There you go. Yep. I, I, do you guys have a copy of the podcast code of ethics? Could you email that to me? Because I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of new at this. No, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. We'll send that I over. I want to make sure that I understand what I can do. We're still, we're still workshopping it over here. <laughs> yeah, Lance what, is working on the bullet points. What can I get away points. with? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on the PowerPoint. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of your your news background and everything, you have a, a really interesting Twitter account at Alan Duke News. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, with all due respect, Fake I, news stuff. I I yes. thought I thought it was being hacked. I have a website called leadstories.com. We are part of what the IFCN. You know what that is? No, no. IFCN is the International Fact Checking Network. We're one of about 50 media entities. This is a company that I started after leaving uh, AMI and CNN. It's an idea I had from CNN. Uh, I have a technical genius in Belgium who created this incredible system. And we have a technology that we license around the world. And a lot of the fact checkers, you know, that uh, 
do um, the official fact-checking for sure. Facebook, that kind of thing, uh, are our clients. They use our technology for finding trending content, in this case, relevant to, to fake stuff. And I'm not going to bore you with all the technical ways it works, but it works pretty good. And so it's a company that I co-founded about three and a half years ago. Okay. And so when it alert, when it finds a fake news story, it, it tells you in some way and then you we have, tw- we have a out. dashboard that does searches constantly. We have bots. We index hundreds of thousands of pieces of content that are posted on social platforms every day. We have billions of them in our database and we have, um, uh, systems, algorithms for identifying and tracking them. It's some pretty cool stuff. Do you have, uh, the, sorry, do you have uh, systems and algorithms to identify where the source of the fake story came from? If, absolutely. If you, if you Google us, our system is called Trendalyzer. BBC just did a series on us. Uh, BBC World Service did a series. There's also a BBC did a, a video thing on on my partner. We just busted a, a fake news network in Ghana. We have technology we call fingerprinting, mm-hmm. to where when we identify a stream of fake content, within seconds we're able to show you their entire network in a graphic way. To show all the connections between the various sites and the networks, yes. So we have that. Uh, it's a, really kind of a forensic tool for finding fake publishers. Yeah. Do you, around the world? Yeah, it sounds wild. Um, do you do you turn any of that over to law enforcement, or it's not really? Not law enforcement. Uh, there are because law enforcement really isn't in debunking fake news. Right. I mean, I get traffic tickets, but I never get tickets for publishing bad facts. Have you guys ever had that? Uh, law enforcement doesn't really care. Now, I tell you who does care. Social media platforms, publishers themselves, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of nonprofits that are like the Pointer Institute and some of the others. Pointer Institute helped create this thing called the International Fact-Checking Network. And we're involved with them. And this is global. We, I mean, we our, our stuff is used in Indonesia and the Philippines and in Eastern Europe. Europe. We've helped protect the elections in Germany, Britain, and France and, against fake news, and mm-hmm. that's what one that company that I have. That's what we do. So you you kind of started this this company before uh, the the term fake news was really even coined or, or as popular yeah, as it is. Yeah. It sounds like yeah, right. We did. Uh, it was a problem before it became a political issue, before people realized it was a cultural issue threatening our society, which I do believe is the case. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was working on this in the 90s. I was um, involved in, a, in media literacy efforts. That's an academic word for you. Um, working with uh, the Knight Foundation, if you're familiar with them, mm-hmm. uh, on a grant through the RTNDF, Radio Television News Directors Foundation. I was at CNN. At CNN, I created this thing called, I helped create a thing, it was a Ted Turner idea, called CNN Student Bureau. I traveled around the world working in third world countries, teaching kids how, teaching them media literacy, how to produce videos, write digital stories, and that kind of thing. That was back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I was involved in it for a long time. But um, 
yeah, fake news has only gotten really sexy, but we were we were debunking fake news before it was sexy. What is it about fake news that drives you crazy? <laughs> Smart people who fall for it. How about that? I think we read headlines or first, you know, just the nut of a story and move on and think we, we know everything in the story. Uh, people don't think about, well, first of all, let me say there are two types of fake publishers. Uh, one is the for-profit and the ones you really got to watch out are the not-for-profit fake publishers because those are the people who are trying to corrupt an election. Most of the fake news publishers are just trying to make a buck off your clicks, frankly. You know, the ones in Macedonia, the ones in Pakistan, the ones in Africa, the ones in Europe, the ones in the U.S. Uh, they're just trying to make some money off your lack of media literacy. Uh, but it's the ones who don't have ads on their stories that you got to watch out for because their motivation is to change your government in their direction. Right. So that would be propaganda. It's called that. Yes. Propaganda, but it propaganda. Social networks have caused, have given a, an unbelievable platform for propaganda. Yes, was, do you think absolutely. that was, you think that was intentional or not intentional? Uh, you mean, you think they, do you think they were taking social, advantage were social of? networks created so that elections could be hijacked? No, I don't think that's why they were. No, I think okay. social media was created so we could get the hookup with uh, with hot women. Yeah, and they were taken <laughs> advantage of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's um, I love I love the fact that I can know what my mom is doing. My mom back in Georgia, who's uh, in her late eighties, you know, she actually way. Uh, what what are they a poke on facebook yeah <laughs> and actually caused called me on the facebook messenger video the other day and that shocked me turned out it was a pocket dial so <laughs> i was a little disappointed after found Fake that news. out but it connects people that's great but the problem is that um that people people are media li- illiterate unfortunately to a yeah. large degree yeah so you said that a lot of people just read the headline or just read the first paragraph and that's what drives you crazy mostly is that smart people are duped by this how do we as a society help to correct this issue and prevent smart people or everyone from just buying a headline well there are Getting back to algorithms, there are technical solutions to it to a degree, and that's what my company does. Uh, we've been developing technical solutions to it. But ultimately, people just need to be aware. Just like when in the, in the 60s, you guys are too young to remember this, we didn't wear seatbelts. We didn't even know where the seatbelts were if they were in the car. They were probably like falling into the seat. Now I wouldn't think about getting into my car without not just the old seatbelt around the waste with the whole harness and everything. We didn't think about it and we weren't aware. And so a lot of us were dying back in the 60s. I think, you know, fake news is sort of like the lack of seatbelts from the 60s. Uh, if you, you need to be aware of the importance uh, of, of knowing what it is you're sharing, you know, um, just like wearing seatbelts. The biggest purveyor of fake news happens to be the president of this uh, fine country. So uh, wh- what do you tell people who uh, are, are buying the lies that he tells? You know, I try not to live in a bubble. I am from Georgia. 
and I'm living in Los Angeles. So I live in a bubble out here and they live in a bubble over there. But I make very certain that I rarely unfriend somebody on Facebook because of things that they post. I'll admit that I've done it at times, but I try really to keep them on my timeline so I know what they're thinking. And sometimes I'll go and tweak them a little bit and say something. But what I do know is that I can't change their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, I can't educate them. And they're just going to have to figure it out on their on their own. Uh, but what I think we can do is my company helps take the profit out of fake news by helping to lessen its presence on social platforms. And right. when it's identified as fake, uh, it's kept down. That's the best we can do right now. I think we need better education in our country and in our world. Ultimately, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, when you have somebody in such a position of power delivering a message that you know, whether it's, you know, you've read the facts or it's in your gut, you know that it's it's not right. What you just said, Alan, it doesn't, there's nothing you can do, but what can be done is a proper education. And that that just uh, that seems to be lacking big time with certain bases that they're that are just not properly educated to think for themselves in a situation. People live in a bubble. They They don't they don't want. I've got a series of websites. This is another thing I created about three years ago. I got a whole series of websites that I was thinking, what can you do to bust the bubble that people are in in these social platform bubbles? So I created what I call my tide sites. If you if you go online to uh, I'll give you an example, um, because I, I deal with a lot of crime stories. I have a website that's called crimetide.com. I'm going to go to it right now. And I don't know if you guys are ever on the Internet. It's no, no, you, you don't have you. You do you have a Google. You got a Google. I don't even know. No, I, I don't bing. Know what that means. I yeah, bing. We use bing. Go, go to crimetide.com. This is my answer to busting the, the social media bubble. Because you tend to reinforce what you already know or believe if your friends are only those people who agree with you. But Crime Tide, if you look right there, it updates every 10 seconds. This will show you, in order, the 30 hottest pieces of content in this category, this one being crime, on social media at the moment globally. Mm -hmm. It's not just what your friends are posting. This is true democracy. It is what people around the world are sharing, clicking on, consuming, viewing, whatever the case may be. Are you looking at it right now? Yeah, we are. Oh, you see, uh, Jeff Flake caves again, withdrawing his no vote on controversial judge so Pence could break the tie. Yep. That's from rawstory.com. That's at 42% hot. Is that what you see on your page? Yes, yes. Okay, we're on the same page here. If you scroll down, that hotness is an actual ratio of social signal activity meaning likes, shares, tweets, views, whatever's relevant to that kind of contact content. Now, oh, there's even a Nancy Grace one. Yeah, there Na- she is. Nancy Grace, your mommy doesn't know what she's talking about. Shannon Watts told You see, these are the hottest 30 crime stories right now. And guess what? If you go back up to the top of the page, it says reload to get one new story. You see that? Oh, yes. yeah, look at that. About every 10 seconds, it it recalculates. So this based is based on our database of millions of pieces of content. 
This is all taken from what is trending on Twitter, this Facebook. Is, this is Inst- my company. Yeah, it, it's our database. We have an army of bots. This is, in, this is incredible. They're, they're constantly going around scouring social platforms and sites and indexing it, putting it into the database and instantly correlating it with the social signals, tweets, shares, that kind of thing, views, likes. This is this is my, very impressive. Yeah, my, 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 but there's a there's a hot one here. Yeah, my my biggest question here is how is the the te- the headline titled "Florida Woman Farts Pulls Knife on Man Who Complained"? Police say how is that not rated higher? That's only seventeen percent hot. <laughs> and, be and let me tell bl- you about that because that was internet that the 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 fart stabbing story was actually pretty hot earlier in the hour. Okay, it falls down. The the you say it dissipates as it the, goes. The flatulence attack actually has lingered longer than I had expected because uh, I read that. I, I actually emailed that. Oh, you want, you want some Nancy Grace email? <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. I emailed that to Nancy Grace this morning. We were recording our radio show, and she responded and had a great idea. I said, I sent it to her. And she says, "Yeah, let me show you. Can I, right can here. I, can I guess can what she said? Well, this is right podcast. You can't see this. <laughs> she answered back, Alan, will you be our fart correspondent? <laughs> Wilson's busy and can't make it. Wilson is our managing editor for her website. So that was Nancy Grace. You have like a new, a new Add uh, that to the resume. bio phrase for Twitter. <laughs> yes. And on, on LinkedIn. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. that is, that so, is impressive. But, but this website, I've got other categories. If you really want... Another good one, I've got one called Polytide, as in political. Mm. And if you're into into that, go to uh, P-O-L-I-T-I. And by the way, it took me 15 minutes to come up with the idea and actually have these these websites created. Literally 15 minutes. I did the, the logo for them in uh, PowerPoint. Wow. <laughs> and screen grab them and put them there. Beautiful logo. Okay, and they yeah, have this been is interesting. Flawlessly for three years. All right, you see, politide. Yep. And so when there's a trending, when there's a trending story that uh, starts breaking, it immediately just gets covered on this page. And um, if something happens, it just, just, just becomes uh, just, just is plastered all over this page. Uh, there's another one. Uh, you guys mentioned our president. We, I've got Trump Tide, TrumpTide.us. I couldn't get .com. TrumpTide.us is is another. They're all linked from the top of. Uh, you'll see the index on the top. But but this is one of my efforts to break the bubble. Wow. Uh, you, I, story Tide is a general one. Tube Tide is video. Celebrity Tide is celebrity news. Tablet Tide. Anyway. Wow, there. this is very cool. Very, very interesting work that you do I here. I did not think we were going in this direction. This is probably the only place I've ever talked about these. We've wow. never spent a penny to promote them. That's really well, cool. We use them as a demo for our technology that yeah. we license. That's really our business. That's excellent. This is really impressive and remarkable stuff, but how do I know <laughs> this isn't fake news? Because the other website would uh, would have checked it. Oh, good call. That's right. Yes, right. So meta. <laughs> um, so t- tell us a little bit more about Nancy Grace. So you say you have to wake up at seven to do oh, this show. No, no, four. No. He said try, four. Oh, try three, three thirty or four in the morning. 
She's on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. Right. And so I have to get up early. And I'm the pro- executive producer and on the show. And I have to have everything lined up. We have a producer back in the studio in Atlanta. But I have to get up and, and we have to, you know, we record for about an hour and a half, two hours every day. And we're not live. Uh, we turn it around uh, for Sirius XM, Channel 111, for two hours, no- starting at noon Eastern. And we're on Premier Network's syndicated radio, generally at night around the country, but then our podcast. Yeah. We, we, we started as a podcast. She literally was either in her soccer mom van waiting for her kids, uh, or sitting in the floor of her kitchen when we started in January of 2017. Uh, and we do like 15 or 20 minutes a day, just me and her talking about crime stories. And we just started evolving it. And by July, uh, we were on Sirius XM doing a full hour. All of a sudden you got to do a format and you got to have guests and you got to be organized. You got to plan. So we hired some people and, uh, now we're doing two hours. So, you know, no more soccer mom van stories. So your schedule is, is, uh, Nancy Grace in the very early morning. And then yep. you check your, um, your, uh, your polytide and your your story tied well, sites during and, when I'm working with Nancy I'm always looking at Crime Tide because Crime Tide yeah, is actually okay. a, a favorite website of hers because when we're in the middle of doing a show if something's breaking in criminal news we see it first on Crime Tide right. it's 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 like a seismograph for that topic you know if if a missing girl that we've been looking for has been found I'll see it immediately on Crime Tide when when the local you see a local story will break that. Mm-hmm. And it gets hot on Facebook or Twitter real quick, and then it shows up on Crime Tide. If you click on one of these stories, like Reload, I'm looking at Polytide, Reload, um, there's one with 96% hotness. If you click on it and see when was this actually published, this was um, published eight minutes ago. And it's on my website, posted on Facebook by Politicus, whatever, USA. Eight minutes ago, and it's on my website. Right. Really interesting work here. Really? I didn't think that—I thought we were going to be talking Stan Lee the entire time because that was so fascinating. Well, but actually, this is... Stan Lee invented this. What? Uh, Spider-Man, no. Oh. <laughs> he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you had us there. Ah, oh, fake news. Um, <laughs> that was fake. news breaks. <laughs> fake, when Crawl fake news breaks, breaks Alan Duke is Alan there. Duke is there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we— what your relationship with Nancy on the show is really kind of fun. I really like it a lot. Um, it, it, you you definitely argue, you kind of bicker back and forth. She definitely like tries to just go at you, and a lot of times you won't take the bait. Oh, I'm not intimidated by her. First of all, <laughs> a secret a lot of people don't know is that our fathers worked together their entire work lives from after World War II. Oh, wow. Her father they and your for father. The same no company. Kidding. They're, that's the only job they ever actually had after the war. He, he, her dad was in the Navy. My dad was in the Army. They were both very young men in Georgia, and they were working for the same railroad, the Central of Georgia Railroad. And uh, my granddad and my great uncle worked with her dad. Wow. So we're from the – and we, you know, so many common things there. But I really didn't know her. We had common friends, but she was in another town – Looking back, we realized, oh, my God, our lives were parallel. Yeah. I had always intended on becoming a lawyer, and I accidentally became a journalist because CNN hired me before I could go to law school. 
And she went to law school and then got hired by CNN, you know, after being a prosecutor. So, so we paralleled, but she's like a sister. Okay. And, cool. uh, you know, we argue and on air and off air, but, uh, we enjoy that. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. If we didn't sure. argue, it'd be so boring. <laughs> yeah. It does seem like you guys have that, uh, kind of sibling, uh, type relationship. It's really kind of nice to hear. She does not make me cry. <laughs> okay, that was my next yeah, question. We'll, yeah, come on, everybody. <laughs> Everyone out there is thinking that Alan Duke cries after he gets off the uh, phone with Nancy, no. but that is not the case. That only Absolutely happens, not. That only happens when uh, when her guests get off the line with her. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she. Uh, the first time we got off the line with her, we we're like, wow, she is she is intense. But I love her. She is such it's a amazing. nice person, too. I, yeah. Let me tell you um, what her specialty is. She can look at a story and figure out how to tell it. She can just immediately know what's compelling about the story. She's a storyteller, you know, and that's what made her a successful prosecutor, because when you're presenting a, a case to the jury, you're telling a story. You know, a courtroom is just a theater. Yes. And the script is very controlled by the judge. You know, certain evidence can't get admitted because it's irrelevant or whatever. And you don't really hear the whole story in a courtroom. And she is really good at telling a story to where people will care about it and know why they should care about it. So that's her, her that's her art. Yeah, she's fun to talk with. She she guides you along and you're you're just along for the ride and you do your best to keep up, but you know, a certain point during that experience you just realize let it let it go and you know just just go with it because she's uh she's like a tidal wave she she calls you the duke is that something that uh that other people yeah call she you, does or? and she jokes about me being in a penthouse in los angeles <laughs> and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah but that's that's just fun so this uh your your new podcast to get back to stan lee again your new podcast uh is creating some some buzz and you mentioned that there was going to be a daily mail article published about it well yeah and i just it may be delayed as you just guys you just heard maybe during a little break here when i got a call because um i i don't work for the daily mail they don't work for me and they they've been following my podcast closely because they've been covering the stan lee thing closely and they know that I've got the really good sources. And so they, they're, they've already published a really big article on my first episode. And episode three is uh, just just out. And so they've had a reporter on that. And also Daily Mail TV. Do you watch that? No. Probably don't. But it's like the up and coming, you know, like Inside Edition kind of show. Yeah, okay. You know who, who one of the hosts for Daily Mail TV? I'll give you a hint. Used to work for CNN. Sent back to Britain. Mm. Piers Morgan. Oh, okay. Okay. Could have got that. Yeah. I was going to say Kathy. He, he, you'll Griffin. see him on Daily Mail. He works for them. So that's they're they're around. Um, they've they've really been getting out there. And also Nancy is on Daily Mail TV like three days a week. Okay. So yeah. So would you say that at, at the first three episodes have been controversial? I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Love that answer. Yeah. I mean, if I, you know, uh, constant cease and desist letters, threats of lawsuits, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I've been doing this an awful long time. So it doesn't the worry first, you? That I mean, I've been, I've been pissing people off like this since my first time on the air was in radio in 1974. 
So this is not my first rodeo, as they say. You're going to love this. This is the crazy characters around Stan Lee. I got a cease and desist letter last night from a lawyer who must have been, he just graduated from from law school. So I I checked him out being the journalist I am. So I had to tweak him a little bit. I got the cease and desist because uh, I can't really tell the full story. My wife doesn't want me to tell the story. (laughs) Basically, one of the sources, one of the characters in this podcast series made a racial slur toward my wife. And she didn't like it, and she responded to him. And and uh, he actually had a lawyer send her a cease and desist, saying that she'd better not talk about him anymore. And she's never talked about him. She didn't give a damn about him. Can you say that on a podcast? Sure, damn? absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> damn. <laughs> so so it's, it's just bizarre. Let yeah. me explain. Most of the people who are sources for... Uh, the information that I have, what I know about Stan Lee are people that I've known for several years. I know them quite well and they know me well. So this isn't like I'm parachuting into the middle of a story. I was on Stan Lee's inner circle. And even when I was ousted from the inner circle, uh, after a big knockdown drag out, not, we didn't hit each other in Vegas with, with, with the daughter, um, that ended up with somebody being arrested. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, I was on the outside, but even though I was on the outside, everybody on the inside kept calling me and telling me, you won't believe what's happening here in the house. And I just kept listening and listening. And finally I said, I better do a podcast about this. You weren't arrested in Vegas, were you? No, no, no. Hmm. But if you go to uh, episode two, <laughs> last week's episode, the last 15 minutes, you're going to hear audio of that argument that we had. I'll give you a hint. It involves Steve-O. You know Jackass? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's involved Tom Green. You know Tom uh-huh. Green? Oh, yeah, I love Tom Green. Said no one. It involves a... <laughs> Except me. Oh, come on. It involves a road trip. Tom Green, me, and J.C. Lee, we went on a road trip together to Vegas. Is this like a movie? I feel like this is directed <laughs> by Bobcat Goldthwait. It's it's not Road Trip 2. Of course, Tom w- was a big star of Road Trip, the That's original right. road trip, That's right? right. Yeah. Yep. We actually went on a road trip from L.A. across the Mojave Desert to Vegas, it did not end well. How could that? (laughs) It did not end well. And if you go to episode Uh two of Stan Lee's World, his real-life battles with heroes and villains, you you will hear how it didn't end well. Jeez, I can't wait. Uh, And it involves Steve-O, Tom Green, J.C. Lee and me. My gosh. What what year was this? Tom Green was probably joking, though, right? Because he does that high concept uh, joke thing. Oh, Tom didn't do anything. Okay. Wrong. Tom was Good. great. Good. No. What, what year no. was it? This was in February of 2013. Wow. Okay. So, right. Oh, so no. That's Tom, Tom, is, Tom is a good friend of mine. I've traveled around the world, not literally around the world, but practically. Well, I, I am yeah. seriously a big fan. I loved his book, actually. Uh, and I, uh-huh. I, I think he's a hell of a Amazing. I, yeah. He's a great guy. I love the guy. Well, I feel bad now. Thanks for making me feel like a dick to Tom no, Green. You are a dick. Maybe, maybe get Tom Green. Give it. Get his. Get, let get me. Him to let call me just say and... this about what people don't understand. You know, you think of Tom as being wacky and crazy. Anytime we went someplace, I was the one. <laughs> yeah. Who did that? Not not him. Yeah. He's like the most sane, normal, easygoing, nice guy. Not me. He keeps it on the stage. Let's just say that. Are there any uh, standout moments with Stan Lee 
when you when you were in the inner circle? My favorite moment was actually early in my friendship with Stan. You got to realize Stan's eyesight has been failing him for several years and his hearing too. Uh, the second time I was supposed to interview him, he came down to CNN and he was waiting in the green room at the CNN Bureau in Hollywood. And he was there before I came down. And there was another guy in there uh, who was going to be interviewed for another show in CNN. And so Stan was talking to this guy. Stan thought this guy was Alan Duke because Stan couldn't see. You know, he'd met me a few times before. But, well, when you hear who this guy was, you'll understand why Stan thought he was me. So Stan was talking to this guy and he started calling him Alan. He said, oh, I'm not, I'm not Alan. He said, oh, I thought you were Alan Duke. He said, no, no, I'm George Clooney. <laughs> oh, I, I was just going to say it was either George Clooney you, you, or, you, or Brad Pitt. You guys yeah. are watching on, you can see why I'm mistaken for George Clooney. Yes. I, I, I and, was wondering. And I Stan we actually put that in a book and his publicist also, it's in, actually documented in two books. It was so funny. George Clooney thought it was absolutely hilarious that he got confused for Alan Duke. And in that conversation, by the way, once I came in there and they realized, oh, if you're Alan Duke, who is he? Oh, I'm George Clooney. I said, oh, I thought I was George Clooney. <laughs> anyway, uh, when the, the conversation was, Stan said to George, he said, you should be in one of my movies. You'd make a great superhero. And George Clooney said, oh, I've already ruined one. <laughs> Batman. Yeah. George Clooney is so, so nice. So funny. That wasn't his fault, though. No. I got a no. good idea for him. And a, he's so good, damn good looking. I, you know. Yeah. Cut him a break. Give him a pass on that. Yeah. I have an idea yeah. for a segment that we could do on Crawl Space. We can take quotes from George Clooney and Alan Duke, and it can be called George Clooney or Alan Duke. And we'll just read George them, Clooney, and yes. we'll, we'll have polls. People can guess, did George Clooney say this, or did Alan Duke say this? I love it. Right. It's a winner. All right. Sounds next, good. Next week on Crawl Space. <laughs> Plenty of Stanley stories I'll be telling on my podcast. Okay. It's not all about domestic abuse and that kind of thing. Yeah. What else is coming up on it? Well, I, I'm really trying to help fans sort out who the villains and heroes are because there's been a lot of reporting that wasn't exactly thorough and there was a lot of spin and stories like when you see a story on TMZ, the reason you see a story on TMZ is because somebody gave it to them. Um, they don't have reporters actually out covering stuff. They just have, I know this, they, and they're doing a, they, incredible the way they do it. They make calls on the phone and they work their sources and they do their little magic, which I know a little bit about because I told you about the six months I spent at a certain organization. <clears throat> but people have a reason to share information with them, whether it's a publicist or somebody else. And so they spin it in the direction of the source giving it to them. If the source is good at doing the spin. And so you don't, it's not really journalism as far as full reporting. Like, and, and there's a different, and it's kind of, kind of pisses me off actually the way it works. Right. You, um, you would have to analyze why it's spun a certain way. Right. But I mean, they do a great job of a lot of things that they do there at TMZ, yeah. but there is that, media literacy issue. Also, the other thing that I'm doing is along the way, I'm going to have experts weigh in. Like on the third episode that I just released this morning, I have a medical examiner who's talking about Stanley's death certificate and how he died. And what we learn from that is if you're 95 years old, be careful how you swallow your food. 
because one of the causes of death is listed on the death certificate, and it's something I knew he was already suffering from, from people who are close to him, is aspiration pneumonia. Do you know what that is? It's got to be some kind of lung issue. It's when you're, it's almost like you're, you're it's asphyxiated on what on your food, right? Is, is that, yes. Yeah. It has to do with food and drink going down the wrong way. Mm. We all do it. You mm. know, you get food in your lungs yeah. and you cough it up. But when you're 95 years old, your ability to cough it up is less. And so it builds up in your lungs and it takes up space in your lungs. You know, you hear about fluid in the lungs. Well, how about food in the lungs? I mean, I don't know how many in and out burgers I probably have in my right lung right now, but I x-rays would show. Well, but some would say yeah. not enough. <sighs> yeah. So it's, it, that's one of the things that killed him was swallowing food down his lungs wow. and liquid according to his death certificate. So I had a, uh, a medical examiner who was able to explain that and how that works. So maybe somebody can hear how can you take care of your elderly grandpa or whoever, make sure that they swallow correctly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why you're intravenously fed when you're in a coma, because you don't have the, the, the reflex to regurgitate or cough, which is, it's super tragic because there's nothing, you know, it's, it's human, you have to eat, you have to nourish yourself. Um, you said something earlier on that I just wanted to uh, you said it and then we moved on and I wrote it down because I, I wanted you to talk about your meaning behind it. You said it was, it's too late for heroes. What did you mean by that? Stan Lee is dead. So, the, so are you saying He's looking for a hero to save Stan Lee? It was saving Stan Lee a time for heroes who is going to step up and help Stan Lee. Who, who's going to make sure that he has the right health care? He had a 24 hour nurse service. Right. But having a paid nurse isn't the same necessarily as having somebody who you've been around for many years. So. Was that a factor? But I don't know if it was or not. I kind of think it wasn't after talking with the medical examiner. But my concern was. Stan needed some heroes because there were certainly some villains that have been circling. I mean, there have been people all in the press, lawsuits flying, people arrested, that kind of thing. But who is going to be his hero? And, and that's what that was about.